Our scripture today is from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. Hear the word of God. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table, where even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue, for I am ag I'm in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, child remember that during your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner evil things but now he is comforted here and you are in agony besides all this between you and us a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so and no one can cross from there to us he said well then father I beg you to send him to my father's house for I have five brothers that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment Abraham replied, well, they got Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, oh, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, oh, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. One other quick thing. Uh, if you are website challenged and would like to get information, you can call the front office as well. As long as we're there, we will answer and answer. All, we will answer and we will answer your questions. So imagine... You are on a flight, let's say, to Atlanta. Plane's taken off. Pilot has announced over the intercom, the skies are clear. There should be no problem making your estimated time of arrival. You nestle under your seat, open up the book you've been looking forward to finishing. About a half hour later, the pilot comes on the intercom and announces that the headwind's been a bit strong and the chances of arriving in Atlanta on time are now a bit slimmer. But the pilot says, as you know, we are committed to on-time arrival, so we will do our best to get you to Atlanta at the time that we said we would. You are grateful for the pilot's effort. Arriving on time is a good thing. You have meetings to get to. About a half hour later, the pilot comes back on the intercom and this time says, friends, uh, this, this headwind is a little stronger, actually, and there's a lot of traffic around Atlanta, so there's just no way we're going to get to Hartsfield by our estimated time of arrival. But... The pilot says, have no fear. We are committed to arriving on time. So when we get to that estimated time of arrival, we will land in Columbus, Albany, Tallahassee. We will land this plane at your estimated time of arrival. That's how committed we are. Now all of a sudden, arriving on time is not such an important thing. You'd rather get to where you're going than to arrive on time. You'd rather get to where you're going than to arrive on time. Jesus, in his story, recorded only by Luke in his gospel, tells about a man who undoubtedly thinks 
he's arrived. He has achieved all the marks of a successful man. He has the right clothes, he's eating the right food, he's going to the right restaurants, he's living in the right neighborhood. He is checking off items on his bucket list one by one and posting them all on Facebook so that everyone can see. He has reached his estimated time of arrival and maybe he thinks he's gotten to where he's going. But Jesus, in somewhat of a surprise, stretches out his story and wonders if the destination might be somewhere else. And he tells us that the guy who has arrived has just outside his gate a poor man. A poor man with sores who doesn't have enough food to eat. And as far as we know, the arrived man is not necessarily conscious of the poor man. There is a separation between the two. All their neighbors, inasmuch as the poor man is sleeping on the sidewalk in front of his house. But the arrived man doesn't take him into account. Or if he does, he simply ignores him. He's not in his path. He has no place in his arrival station. There is at one level no distance between them, but there is at another level, oh, a great distance between them. This happens a lot, right? We, you can be right next to a person and still be a million miles away. We all have sort, all sorts of ways of creating distance, of fixing chasms in between ourselves and our neighbor near and far. I remember flying up to North Carolina, to Charlotte, to be at the bedside of my dying father. I was lost in my own thought, my own grief, my own sadness. I was a million miles away from every person on that plane, even the person sitting right next to me. When we landed, I came out of my head and hard enough to politely ask my neighbor if Charlotte was her home. She said, yes, I'm coming home to bury my father. We were that close. And we were that far away. Lots of things create distance between us and our fellow human beings. Sometimes it's success. We have reached our estimated time of arrival. We've achieved our goals of getting to the right station of life and we think life is about the station. But there may be miles of life still to go. There may be poor people at our gate, but we've arrived at our stop and we just relish the station. The rich man in Jesus' story may have even thought that he got what he deserved and the poor man got what he deserved. There was a pretty bad theology floating around in Jesus' time that your success had everything to do to say what favor God had for you and your lack of success had everything to say about God's disfavor for those who had not succeeded. So the man who arrived may have just as well thought it was the right thing to do. This was kind of the way life is. There's this distance. We keep the distance. It could have been other things. It could have been that he just wanted to be with his own kind. You know, the poor man with the sores, not of his kind. It could have been that he was afraid. He wasn't sure what that poor man was going to do to him. What he might demand of him. Fear often puts great distance between. When I was growing up, there was a woman in our neighborhood 
whom us kids called Crazy Annie. And we called her Crazy Annie because she was this older woman who lived in this rundown house in the neighborhood and the grass was never cut and there was stuff piled on her porch and in her front yard. And it was there because she couldn't fit it into her house because she was a hoarder. And every Thursday morning before the trash truck would come through the neighborhood, she would go from house to house and pick from our trash stuff that she would take home and put God knows where. And for all those reasons, we called her Crazy Annie. And like kids often do, we made up all these stories about Crazy Annie. We made her into a demon. And we told those stories as if they were true. And one day, my friend, I was at my friend Timmy's house, and we were drinking some high C. Remember high C? (laughs) And we were telling these made-up stories about Crazy Annie as if they were true. And they were all about how bad Crazy Annie was. And they were all about the reasons for why we had to stay as far away from Crazy Annie as possible until Timmy's mother, who was at the sink listening to all this, until Timmy's mother said, stop it. She's a human being. She's not well. She deserves our love, not our stories. I remember that as if it were yesterday. We can be this close, and yet so far. For all sorts of reasons, we create our distance. Now, you might remember from last week that when we talked about how Jesus, especially in his parables, exaggerates to make a point. So in another twist in the story, the successful man, the the rich man, who in his success has kept his distance, ends up getting in eternity just what he wanted. More distance. He is kept apart. Lazarus, the poor man, goes to heaven, rests in the bosom of Abraham, and the rich man goes to Hades and gets his distance. Luke has big into these reversals between the rich and the poor, the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, Jesus adds to this story, adds this to the story, not to teach us as much about heaven and hell and who goes there, but just to make the point about the distance. Be careful what you ask for, because in the grand scheme of the kingdom, it's the distance that creates the hell. Isn't that what we keep talking about these days? How distant we seem to be from each other, how polarized we are, how neighbor A shares a property line with neighbor B, but they don't talk to each other because of the the different political placards in their front yards. C.S. Lewis, in his great little book, The Great Divorce, tells the story about the citizens of hell being given a chance to go to heaven. And he describes hell as that place where people want to get as far away from each other as possible. That hell is this sprawling metropolis that gets wider and wider because people keep moving to keep distant. And they all turn down their chance to enter heaven because it means getting close to the people they don't want to get close to. Do you remember the story about Malin Lambright? Malin Lambright, the Amish father of 11 who lived in Wisconsin. Malin's wife, Mary, was out in their Amish horse-drawn buggy one day and was struck by a truck and killed. 
Months later, Malin was contacted by the insurance company to say that they had for him a check for $212,000 that was the result of a wrongful death suit that the insurance company had brought against the driver. Here's the punchline. Malin turned down the money. And the reason, he said that he was afraid of what the money might do to his family and that it was likely to cause more problems than it was worth. But most of all, he said he was afraid of what the money might do to cause a gulf between him and his little Amish community. That it might create a distance because it's the distance that creates the hell. Do you remember way back when, and I date myself when I talk about these things, do you remember way back when, when little 18-month-old Jessica McClure was over at her aunt's house in Midland, Texas, and out in the backyard, this little toddler toddled over to the well that just happened to have a little opening big enough for an 18-month-old to fall into, which she did. And this little 18-month-old little girl got stuck in the well casing 22 feet below the Earth's surface. Baby Jessica, remember? We called her Baby Jessica. And without benefit of the Internet, even, the world watched. The world prayed as they tried every which way to free her. 12 hours passed, 24 hours, 36 hours, 48 hours, and everybody in the world became this little girl's neighbor. The president watched the hourly updates. Kings and queens from across the globe watched the hourly updates. Would this little girl get found and be saved? And the line was long of strangers who wished to volunteer to go down after her. 56 hours later, down a parallel shaft, a paramedic shimmied and got hold of her, and the two were lifted to safety. And the world rejoiced because there was no distance, no placard, no fence that could keep us from wanting this little girl well. She was a human being in need of help who needed our love, not our commentary. Makes me think of Meyer Greenberg. Meyer Greenberg grew up in a family of seven in the heart of New York City. His father was a baker and he used to wake up at 5 a.m. to help his father pull, push, his wheel, push the push cart to market to sell. He, he never forgot, especially those cold winter mornings, having to push that cart, and especially never forgot how when he was 12, he lost his gloves, and because his family had so little, he never asked for another pair, but he never forgot how cold his hands would get on those bone-chilling mornings. Meyer went on to be a successful business man in advertising in the city, making more than he needed, he thought. And he remembered when his father died, how his father would always say, don't ever deprive yourself of the joy of giving. So Meyer got to thinking about those gloves he lost when he was 12 and how cold his hands would get. So in 1963, he went into his savings and bought his first inventory of gloves. And from Thanksgiving to Christmas, he went to all the worst places in New York City, Skid Row, the Bowery, you name it. And every afternoon and evening, he handed out gloves to anyone who needed. Soon, people began to call him Gloves Greenberg. 
Gloves Greenberg handed out gloves to all the Lazaruses of New York. He did it for 30 years. His way, I suppose, of not letting too much distance come between. So what is that estimated time of arrival for you? Are you there already, safely ensconced in your station? Or are there some stops still ahead? Who was the one who shares your property line, your zip code, your hemisphere, your globe? You can be this close and yet so far, and it's the distance that creates the hell. But we're all children, are we not? Human beings, unwell, each in our own way, who deserve love, not more commentary, rescues for when we fall, and gloves for hands grown cold, and with such a taste of heaven.